You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number four. Hi, you guys. I hope everyone is having a fabulous week. I have certainly had an eventful week this week. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that my son actually burnt his hand and got second degree burns on the palm of his hand, which was not fun and just threw off the whole day and the whole week. And I felt so, so bad because it was totally my fault. I left my curling iron out and course did not think that he was going to touch it at all because what two and a half year old goes to touch a curling iron. Yeah, really, really stupid on me, but we're good. We're fine. His hand is healing. He's doing much better. He's not even really bothered by it. It looks ugly because it's, you know, all blistery, but he's couldn't be phased by it. So I feel more bad. I feel like I was more traumatized than he was. (laughs) But anyways, what else is going on this week? Halloween is coming up. Walter is going to be a firefighter, I believe. That's still the plan. That's what he's wanted to be for the last three months. So I'm hoping he doesn't change his mind in the next week. So Halloween is coming up. And then this weekend, I'm actually going to a baby shower in California. So I will be out west for the weekend. So I'm excited about that because I'm just going by myself, totally kid-free and husband-free. And yeah, just going to go out there to see my friend who's having a baby. So we are going to jump right into today's episode. This week, I am doing a birth story with my friend Sarah, and she is the founder of the Juna app. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Super cool fitness app for moms. And I actually have it downloaded on my phone. I have a fake pregnancy in there just to track things and see how the app works. But I've loved it so far. And I think it's super, super cool for anybody who's pregnant. So she's going to talk to us about her birth story. She's had two births now, had a lot of issues with an ectopic pregnancy and miscarriages. So her stories are very, very heartfelt. And I'm sure if you've had an ectopic pregnancy or you've had losses, you can certainly relate with Sarah and her journey. So without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Today's episode is sponsored by Juna. Juna is the companion app for your motherhood journey. In today's episode, I'm talking to Sarah, the founder of Juna, who created the app to provide scientifically backed, up-to-date fitness and nutrition information all in one place. When you download Juna, you'll enter your baby's due date if you're expecting or your baby's birthday if you've already had your baby, and you'll be put directly into the appropriate week of your journey. There's a key nutrient every single week with recipe suggestions, a daily trimester-specific workout, and pregnancy and postpartum tips from Sarah and the team at Juna. There's really no other app like it out there. Sarah is giving a special offer to Mommy Labor Nurse listeners, so right now you can get Juna for 20% off your subscription by using the code LIESEL at subscribe.juna.co. That's L-I-E-S-E-L at subscribejuna.co. And now let's get into today's episode. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Can you just start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your family? 
Yes. So my name is Sarah Kuhn. I am 35 years old and I am married to my husband, Eric, and we have two children. Luca is three and Kyla, my daughter, is just is 15 months. Mm-hmm. And so we are very much deep in it and it's been quite the ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Cool. <laughs> well, today we are going to talk about this is a birth story episode. We're going to talk about your birth stories and then maybe a little bit your business and, and your, what's it called? The founder of the Juna app. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end. But yeah, let's go ahead and jump right into your birth story. So let's go back to your first pregnancy and kind of go back to when you were finding out you're pregnant and if you had any fertility issues and kind of how that pregnancy went. Yeah, that's like a two-year story. (laughs) So I'll give you the shortened version of it. I definitely had a struggle to get pregnant. I found out I was pregnant the first time right after we got back from our honeymoon. I was like, Mm -hmm. the whole time I was on our honeymoon, I was like, something's up. Like, I don't, my stomach is off. Like, this just, I don't feel well. And I got back and my best friend, who's my doctor, was like, she's like, why don't you just take a pregnancy test? And I was like, Felicia, I'm not pregnant. And she's (laughs) like, just, you have all these symptoms. And I went home, took a pregnancy test. It was just so blaringly positive. And I was like, oh my God. And, you know, told my husband, I'm like, oh my God, like we're pregnant. We just, we weren't prepared for it at that time. We weren't weren't trying. I had taken my IUD out and then started another pill. So in like the two week period that I was off, I happened to get pregnant. Yeah. That was an ectopic pregnancy, which was treated very quickly. And then six weeks later, when I thought I was in the clear, uh, it ended up rupturing, which like, I have no idea how that happened. We were, like, I mean, no one could explain what ruptured because my HCG was down to zero. Like, it was just, there was no explanation of it. Interesting. Yeah. And so I lost a tube, like was rushed into surgery. It was a, kind of a traumatic experience. And so at that point, we took a little break from the children thing. I had started a new job at the time. And then the following December, we were like, all right, let's start trying again. We're ready, ready to approach this with a new and fresh like heart, I guess, if you will. Yeah. So January, I got pregnant immediately and at six weeks had a miscarriage, oh. which... I will say like there was something about having gone through the ectopic pregnancy and then the, you know, the rupture later. And then that felt so natural when I had a miscarriage. I'm like, well, this happens all the time. Like I, and I remember saying to my husband, I'm going to give myself one day to be like really upset about this. But you know, like after that, I promise like I'm going to, I'm going to like turn and he was just like, Sarah, take do what you need to do. But I was just like, no, I just like, I'm not going to like mourn on this. I don't want this to be our story of me just being sad. And so I, you know, the next month got pregnant again immediately. I didn't even get a period. And I remember being like, yes, this is it. This is going to be our time. And we were about to go on our first year anniversary trip to Mexico and I had gotten some light bleeding and I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, here we go again. And then the bleeding stopped. But I was just like, you know, we're going to Mexico. Let me just go to the doctors, get everything checked, make sure everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And went to the doctor. Turned out I had another ectopic pregnancy. This one was in the corneal region, which apparently is a very dangerous place to have an ectopic. So I was immediately admitted into the ER, then spent eight days in the hospital, had like a series of traumatic like interventions of because they literally couldn't, like the methotrexate wasn't going to be enough because the baby was pretty far along. Like, like it was, yeah. A, yeah. And, and so then they had to do 
basically like a huge needle. I forget what the kind of needle it was, like vaginally. It was supposed to be like through my stomach, but then my uterus flipped, which I didn't even know that you could do that. And so it was backwards and they needed to like go in and do this like direct shot of methotrexate into the what was at that point, I mean, it was way past an embryo, <laughs> but it was, yeah. I mean, it was a, I remember like we had heard a beating heart. It was a very yeah. traumatic experience. And my, like, it was also like UCLA is a teaching hospital. So there was like 40 Residence, people watching yeah. this procedure. <laughs> I was just like, needless to say, we then decided our, our OB was like, you need to start seeing a reproductive endocrinologist because we don't, this is all unexplained. We don't know what's going on. We started going down that path. We did IVF the following October and then did a frozen embryo transfer because they, I think like the studies with that had suggested that that was less likely to result in an ectopic. Mm-hmm. And the first frozen embryo transfer did not work. And then the next month I was just like, Eric, I need a break. Like, let's go on vacation. Like we're going to New York for for Christmas and I want to be able to drink. I want to be able to see friends. I don't want to like be thinking about this. So let's just do that. He obviously was very, you know, amenable to that. Yeah, understanding. um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so that was the month that I ended up getting pregnant. And so I, you know, I think like part of it is that the stress that infertility was putting on my physical system was just like a lot. And it was obviously resulting in my inability to have a successful pregnancy. But then now getting to the pregnancy question, you know, I spent a lot of that first pregnancy just feeling like everything was going to go wrong given my experience uh, yeah. getting pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And so I think like I look back at my second pregnancy or second successful pregnancy and I'm like, I'm so glad I had that experience because I was totally absorbed in anything like that I could read like up to date or any like PubMed stuff. Like I had read everything that could possibly happen and I was just Mm -hmm. really consuming myself in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was like eight weeks pregnant with Luca, my friend was like, look, here's my recommendation. She had been through something similar. She's like, here's my recommendation. Get a book, get one book that you will resort to whenever you have any pregnancy question. If it's not in there, write it down next time you see your OB, ask them the question. Do not get on Google. You will find yourself in these forums and it's not good. Like it's like every worst case scenario. These are also like these, these are not professionals. Like these are just people. And you know, again, that that stuck with me. And so I really tried to stick with that for the remainder of that pregnancy. And I think that did my emotional state wonders. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I mean, gosh, like I feel like Google is so great for a lot of things, right? I mean, there's a ton you can find on Google. You can find literally yeah. everything on Google. But yeah, for your mental health, staying away from Google during your pregnancy or during any kind of health issue yeah. that you have is always a good idea. Because you a good, can prove or good, good anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. And you always hear about the worst case scenarios too. Exactly. You know, or exactly. like the random oh, I had this weird, weird thing happen. And it's like, then you think that, oh, this is much more common than it is because the, right. you know, this person's happening. And then this other person comments on it. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. But yeah, that's a very good tip on using one kind of source. <laughs> and then if it's exactly. not in there, then you you know look to the professionals. Yes. Yes. As for the pregnancy itself, it was uncomplicated and pretty standard. Like I put on, I think the like maybe 30 pounds. I exercised throughout 
the majority of the pregnancy, there were a couple weeks in the first trimester where I just felt like a garbage bin. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, I felt so terrible. I couldn't. Yeah. And then after around week 30, it, I like dropped down to like two or three times a week just because I had very bad pubic symphysis diastasis mm-hmm. and like just putting on underwear hurts. <laughs> like the mm-hmm. thought of exercising was just like, I would exercise and then for two days I was in pain, but I was just like, oh, I'm committed to this. Yeah. Which I think like I truly believe that that is why I had such a easy labor and deliver, like I mean, labor and delivery. Like I'll get into my birth story, if that is kind of enough with the pregnancy. I will say I absolutely hated being pregnant. Like if you, oh, yeah, <laughs> it was like, I wanted to be one of those people that was like, I love this baby inside. But like, I remember like, yes, the kicks, like every kick felt amazing. And I always wanted him to kick, but I also was like, why are you kicking at three in the morning all day long? <laughs> and there was times when he would have the hiccups and I just like felt like I wanted to claw him out of my stomach because it was just like, there was something like that was so irritating about it, but like yeah. also beautiful. <laughs> I know. I totally get that. And I was certainly one that I loved. I genuinely loved to love my pregnancy, but it is certainly okay for anybody who's listening who feels that they don't love their pregnancy. Do not feel guilty about that. That is completely fine. And pregnancy <laughs> is very hard on on everyone's body. So it, it is completely okay to not love pregnancy. Yes. Oh, I will add, I did at around 33 weeks, my son was still right side up. And uh-huh. so I started seeing a chiropractor because I was so concerned with not having a C-section and not having, a, I mean, C-section, vaginal, it doesn't matter. But in my mind, I thought that a C-section recovery was going to be so much harder than vaginal. I thought that like he came out of my vagina and boop, boop, bing, bang, boom, I was going to be fine. Right. But if I had a C-section, it was going to be eight weeks of not, you know, like I was, like, so that was more the recovery that I was very like I do, if I can avoid this, I really want to avoid it. So I started seeing a chiropractor at around 33 weeks and like by 36 weeks he had turned and it was the Webster method. Like (laughs) that's what it, yeah, it was the way the spinning babies. Like I, I was like just trying to find someone that could do that. And so I, I really think that that helped significantly who knows, maybe he just wanted to turn, but either way. So I approached, Yeah. Like who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had been convinced the entire pregnancy that I was going to go early because he was like always measuring big. Mm-hmm. And the doctor kept saying, no, I think you're going to go early. I think you're going to go early. And 38 weeks came and went. And then 39 weeks came and went. <laughs> and at, so at around 39 weeks and five days, I had felt this like little gush of fluid out of, I had already lost my mucus plug mm-hmm. at like 39 weeks and five days. And so later that day, I felt like this little gush and I was like, Ooh, that, that's not a little, a gush is like actually a, um, exaggerated. I mean, it was just like a splurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry for anyone listening. That just sounds disgusting. It's okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just like, that was not, I was like, that was not vaginal discharge. And so I kind of got a little bit worried because obviously I was like, well, is, am I leaking fluid? Like my boss had told, had like had this exact circumstance. And just, so I went to the hospital and they were like, nope, like you've got nothing like, and, and you're 0% dilated. So you know, go back home. Oh. And, like, <laughs> like, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like fine. Then that happened again at 39 weeks and six days. Like I felt another one of those things. And it was kind of like, hap- like I was like noticing that there was like liquid in my underwear. And I was just like, mm-hmm. this is really strange. So I went to the hospital again and they were like, nope, nothing's going on. So then I did have an appointment with my doctor, I think at like 39 weeks and four days where she did strip my membranes. So I was like really expecting to go. That did not happen. So in the hospital at 39 weeks and six days, they strip my membranes again, which like for anyone who doesn't know what that is, basically like they go in and they detach. They like right. have to Literally like, strip the bag <laughs> of water, which is the membranes away from your cervix. It's exactly what it sounds like, but yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. It's supposed to get things going. Right. So then I went to the hospital. They stripped my membranes. The next day I started to feel like a little bit of contractions going and... I was like, oh yeah, I'm getting regular. Like, here they go. They just like weren't that painful. And like, I think when you were on my podcast, you answered the question, like, how do I know if I'm in labor? And yeah. you said, if you're asking that question, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, Usually, Because yes. when you're in labor, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and I was asking myself that question. I'm like, am I in labor? So then I went to the hospital because I was, it was like pretty regular but I like, it still wasn't that painful. So I was like, something's going on. I don't know. We went to the hospital for the third time, mind you. And they were like, nope, nothing. You got to go back. You're not in labor. And so that I was just so defeated at this point. Cause I was like, something's going on. I don't know. And then I just like ate a very big burrito, like a giant burrito. I was just <laughs> like, I'm hungry. I, I don't even know how I got it all in. Cause there was no room left in my belly. And 10 minutes later, I like felt this like huge gush of water. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, that. And like now, and now like my, like, I mean, I'm like soaking. It's like, it's gotten on the couch. Like I go to the bathroom, more is like coming out. Yeah. And I'm like, that must have been my water. But now after having been, and I like love using this phrase, I was like the boy who cried wolf. Like (laughs) I was like, Eric, I'm like, I don't think maybe this isn't my water because like I was so wrong the last two times. And he's like, well, why don't you just call them this time? Mm-hmm. So I called them and they were like, why don't you come in? You know, like they're like, well, do you want to labor at home? And I was like, nope, you know, I'd rather just be admitted and get my epidural. Like, I no get going. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I don't need to labor at home. Like I'm not going to be a martyr about this. Like I have no intentions of having an unmedicated pregnancy. Like I didn't take a, pre- a birthing class. Like I had no idea how to manage if I hadn't had an epidural. Like it was just epidural was the plan. Right. And when in they, I was like one centimeter dilated. So they gave me misoprostol to get like everything going. And like very quickly the contractions started and they were like so intense and it just like really got going. Mm -hmm. And I remember my husband was like sleeping and I was like, I'm not getting the epidural until I empty my bowels. That was just like something that I was like felt very strongly about. I was like, it's starting to get going. So like after like three rounds of going to the bathroom, I was like, okay, I can't tolerate this anymore. Like get me the epidural. Yeah. So I got the epidural around 1 a.m. And at... I think it was like 9 a.m. They came and checked me and I w- they were like, oh, you're 10 centimeters. Let's go. We're ready for it. Nice. So it was like, I mean, I think I like even slept for, you know, four or five hours between the times. And it was like, mm-hmm. things were definitely intensifying, but I couldn't really feel it. And by the time they came in, they were like, all right, you're ready to push. And it was 
six pushes and it was 14 minutes of like of active pushing. Awesome. And he came out, it was uneventful. His head was the shape of a cone. And I was like, what is his head? I I was just like, will that go away? And they were like, oh, very quickly. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how quickly it does though? I mean, we tell people 24 hours, you know, it's not going to go down completely, but like in 24 hours, your baby will look like a different baby. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it goes down so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we were like, he looked like a little, like my dad, he just like looked <laughs> like this little Elliot. And I know my husband had a hard time bonding with him and to begin with because yeah. like he was expecting like our son to look like him. Yeah. And he just came out looking like, like all fixler. That's my maiden name. He yeah. was just like... And it's funny because now he looks like all like Eric, but that just has my coloring. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so that was Luca's birth story. Very cool. So talk, before we get into your second, talk about your kind of postpartum experience a little bit with your first one and if you breastfed or how that kind of went. And then we'll talk about your second one. Yeah, because both the postpartum experiences were so different. So I think really? it'll be good to hear both of them. But yeah, after Luca, which is my first, I did breastfeed. I had taken a breastfeeding course or class and I'm so glad that I did. However, I think like there's got to be a right time for that. And, and like I, right time, a better time because like I took it maybe three weeks before, but I mean, I forgot everything. I don't know yeah. if it was like the labor, but I was just like, oh, oh my God, I thought that she said something about like, let the baby root towards my boob. Don't like just put him right on the boob. And I was like trying to like follow these rules that are very like, don't follow your own intuition, which is like the antithesis of what you would want to do. However, yeah. like there's nothing intuitive about breastfeeding. No, so. no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I big boobs. So like getting my boob into his mouth, it was very stressful. Not to mention, so breastfeeding felt stressful like pretty immediately, even though like he latched fine, he was nursing fine. Like my milk came in within... 24 hours, my milk, like it, it had transitioned from colostrum to milk and you could like see the difference in like, and then like his tar poop came out, like that mm-hmm. meconium. Mm-hmm. But my postpartum experience was I had a second degree tear. I had three thrombos hemorrhoids, which were like probably the most painful thing that I have ever dealt with in my life. And I thought it was the tear. Like I thought the tear was what was causing me all that pain. And then I I had a nurse come in and check it out. And she was like, oh my word. (laughs) I was like, is it that bad? And she's like, yes. And I remember the first poop, like post-pregnancy was worse than labor for me. It had been 10 days. Oh gosh. Because I was like, that I, bad. It, I, I didn't it, have thrombos hemorrhoids, but my, but I remember my first postpartum poof and it was pretty, pretty bad. But uh, I, gosh, I, I can't imagine going 10 days. Poor thing. Oh, it, it was, yeah. And I like, I will remember this is like going to be way too vivid for a lot of years, but I just remember I had to start taking stuff to yeah. get it out. And yeah. I was like standing over the toilet because like I couldn't, like I was afraid I was going to bust a stitch. Like I was just like, oh my God, eventually it came out and I remember being in like a full body sweat and I came downstairs and I was crying. And I think my husband had seen me cry three times in my life and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm like, oh my God, I like, I finally came out. Like, I'm like, I don't think I can ever do that again. (laughs) 
So yeah, that was, it was worse than labor itself. And then that was what led me to then look in the mirror and see my vagina for the first time. Oh, <laughs> Which, oh gosh. If anyone is listening, do not look <laughs> at your vagina that. 10 days postpartum. <laughs> like, Just don't scare I, yourself. <laughs> yes. I, but I was, I was convinced that I had busted a stitch and I like needed to know because I'm like, do I need to go into the doctors? Yeah. But I remember looking and being like, I can't make heads or tails of what that is down there. Like, I don't have any idea what it is. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and that was like the peak baby blues moment because I remember like sitting on Luca's chair, like in the rocking chair, nursing him, listening to like, I think it was like some John Legend or something and mm-hmm. and just sobbing. Oh. And I was like, you ru- my vagina and my body are ruined forever. Oh. <laughs> and then like the next day, I mean, like literally that was like the end of it. It was just like, oh, we're fine. Like I had pooped. I had like gotten this, whatever it was out of my system. And from that point on, I felt pretty good. Then going to breastfeeding, the first two weeks was like kind of fine. And then I got to the point where I started producing too much milk mm. and I was having an overactive letdown. And I so I, like I was just super engorged all the time. And at that point, I didn't realize that like, so I was like pumping to like relieve and I didn't realize that I was only exacerbating the problem. Right. And I had right. brought in two separate lactation consultants and I remember one of them being like, your baby is very distressed at the breast. And I was Aww. like, yes, I know. That's like, and like, because it was of the overactive letdown, he was like, He's getting like sprayed was super in the gassy yeah, all the like, time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so then he didn't want a nurse. I mean, it was, it felt like one disaster after the other with that. I remember telling my friend, like, I really wanted to breastfeed, but like, this just doesn't seem to be working. Like I, maybe I should just pump and give him a bottle. Like, you know, he just doesn't want to breastfeed. And my friend was like, look, you do whatever you want to do, but if you're committed to breastfeeding, then just make it to four weeks because everything gets easier after four weeks. Like your milk starts to regulate, like all of these things happen. You get better at it. The baby starts getting better at it. She's like, so just if you're committed then just make it to four weeks. And I was so glad that she gave me that advice because I did. And like, and it did, it got so much easier after four Good. weeks. That's really was- reassuring to hear too, because I think a lot of people, I mean, I remember going to breastfeeding support groups of when he was really, really little and there are other moms in there with like, you know, day old baby, you know, a few days yeah. old babies or a few weeks old babies. And it's like, we just have to constantly kind of remind ourselves that it does get easier. You know, you're going to obviously go over bumps, but it's really, really tough in the beginning with whatever kind of issue, you know, whether it's low supply or whether it's you're oversupplying or latching or anything like babies get older and they get more efficient and it just, it does get easier. So that's a good thing to just remind moms that it does. Exactly. So yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about now your second time around and how Everything was, you're saying, a little bit different with your second one. So let's go back to, you know, when you found out you were pregnant with your second one and how that pregnancy went. Yes. So we had six embryos from IVF, but we were kind of like, look, like we got pregnant naturally. Let's try again naturally. Give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. If we don't need to intervene, then we won't need to. So I remember I had to wean Luca at around 13 months because I still wasn't getting a period. Mm. And the first month that we tried, I got pregnant. 
And so it was like, oh, well, I feel like I got a win in my books. You know, the first right. one took two years. Second one was right, right on time. And the pregnancy was so different from the very beginning. With this one, we were not going to find out the gender. Mm -hmm. We did find out with Luca just because we did all of the genetic testing at like mm -hmm. 10 weeks and found out the gender. But this one, we were just like, yeah, let's go with the delivery room surprise. Yeah. But I had like cystic acne on my face, oh which my I did not have with Luca. <laughs> yeah, like for the whole first trimester, I'm like, this is the worst. I was wow. carrying the same but it was just like everything felt a little bit different. So I was, I went through different periods where I was sure I was having a boy. And then I went through periods where I was sure I was having a girl. Yeah. The last like 12 weeks of pregnancy, I was sure I was having a girl, which made the delivery room announcement that it was a girl. Like literally we were like, yeah, I mean, of course it is. Okay. Of course. It was a surprise, <laughs> but not really a surprise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Again, I was like super healthy throughout the whole pregnancy. I exercised probably more like more so during this pregnancy. I, I felt better. I wasn't as nauseous during the first trimester. So I worked out like I would say six days a week during the first trimester and second trimester. And then midway through the SPD came back. And so I, I, that was like what slowed me down. But I still was working out three or four times a week. And then... Again, uncomplicated. There was like no issues, which was really relieving. And then, so we'd moved up to Westlake Village and I was still delivering at UCLA, which it's about 25 miles for anybody listening, but it can take anywhere from 30 minutes at the right time of day or two hours at the wrong time of day. So I had like all this anxiety over going into labor during commuting time and having to like be in labor in the car mm -hmm. during traffic. And I was like, mm -hmm. Eric, there's all these places that like you'd need to be like a real D-I-C-K and like cut people off to get like to, to speed up the trip. And I'm like, you're yeah. going to have to make every one of those decisions, Eric. Yeah. And he was just like, I will. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we, we will be fine. At this point, I was like, there's no way that my water will break again before I even go into labor. Like, so I have a feeling I'm going to you're not supposed to say that, right? Like you're not supposed to say, there's no way this is going to happen because then, then that is exactly what yeah. happened. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I feel like at least this time I was like much more in tune with my body. So I had felt a lot of these, like, I, like contractions had probably started two days before my water actually broke, but, but they were like, I have a very high tolerance for pain, I realized. And the, they were like pretty consistent contractions, but I was kind of like, I mean, they're a little uncomfortable, but I'm not in labor. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be the boy who cried wolf. Like I also like, I can't like pop over to the hospital and check in like I could when I lived in Santa Monica. Like this is a journey. Like <laughs> we're only going once. And we also like my in-laws came in right before my due date so that we had someone to take care of our son when I went into labor. But that was like also a whole nother thing because I was just like, what if I go into labor before? Do yeah. we have someone that can just pop over? So getting the, the right childcare in place was super important to us. And so I'm yeah. glad that his parents came out. It was their anniversary dinner. Aww. They went out to dinner and got back and I was putting Luca down for bed and we had just ordered Thai food. And I'm walking into Luca's room, holding him. And all of a sudden I felt, and this was different from when Luca, and oh, I, don't, I never even said it. It turns out, by the way, when I was leaking for Luca, I did have a, a slight tear in my sack. So I was leaking fluid, but every time they'd put me in the chair, his head was blocking it. So there was no more fluid leaking. Mm. 
So I actually wasn't the boy who cried wolf. I did have a small leak. My fluid was getting ah, lower. But So you broke your water like two days before the big yes. break of the water. Oh, interesting. Exactly. Exactly. So when my water broke this time, it felt like this huge pop, like an actual water balloon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> my husband was in the room too. And I was like, well, my water just broke. Wasn't that good timing? I'm like, here we go. And like, it was just yeah. like, we put my son down for, for bed. We went downstairs and I, in my head, I was like, oh, my contractions like were much slower to start last time. So they're probably going to be the same. So we have time. Mm-hmm. So we just started eating Thai food and I got my first like real contraction without water. And I was like, oh, oh my God, that was serious. And then I was like, Eric, I think we have to go. Like we got to go now. And I had been exploring the idea of an unmedicated birth with my second. I like had read the hypnobirthing book, had been like working on some breathing techniques. So I was like a little more open to a non-medicated birth. But I also was just like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't care. Like I trust my doctor. Like I know that they will only intervene if they need to intervene. Like I, I knew that like if I wanted to have a, an epidural, I could have an epidural and that yeah. wouldn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. So we're in the car on the way to the hospital and there is zero traffic. It was like at the perfect time of day. So it ended up taking us like 33 minutes to get there. But while I was in the car, I had four contractions that were so intense that I was just like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can make this. Like, this oh. is just really intense. And I, they, I get to the hospital, they admit me. And finally they were like, well, we're not really sure if your water broke. And I'm like, oh no, no, I'm sure. Like I am very <laughs> There's no sure. Question. There's yeah. no question. Trust me. And they're like, okay, well, you're two centimeters dilated. or It was like something very minimal. Yeah. They're like, so we really do need to confirm that your water broke before we... And I'm like, look, I'm still leaking. Like it's on this pad. I don't... Yeah. Like, it's not coming a question. Out. It's actively yeah. coming out. Yeah. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to put you on some Pitocin then to make sure that your contractions are regular. And I was just like, okay, fine. And then they get me set up in the room and again, I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to get the epidural. I'm going to let them come in, get me all set up so that when I want the epidural, like I don't have to like do any paperwork and we're just like ready to go. Yeah. And so we did all of that. And then like, they never actually had to put me on Pitocin because my contractions just started like speeding up and speeding up and they were just like so regular and really intensifying. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Like, and then I'm ready for the epidural. And I get back in bed. I had get the epidural within, and then like 10 minutes late, I'm like, I'm still feeling everything. Like the epidural has not kicked in. 10 minutes later, I was like, nurse, I think I have to poop. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have to poop again. And she's like, well, you have the epidural, so you can't poop right now. Like like, here's a bedpan or whatever. And she's like, but let me just check you one more time because sometimes like when you're transitioning, like that can feel like you have to poop. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, sure, sure. So she comes in. She's like, you're 10 centimeters dilated. Like you're ready to go. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, I'm feeling everything. And they're like, your doctor is 12 minutes away. Can you wait for her? Yeah, exactly. No, it was literally (laughs) what they're like, do you, you know, it's going to take us 10 minutes to get your room set up. Like, can you, do you mind? Was she really, because this is the doctor that saw me through the corneal ectopic mm-hmm. then like saw me through everything. She like really was like love and wanted to yeah. deliver my baby, which is, I love, love her. And you know, so 
thankful for that. But I literally was like, and by the way, I continued to make the commute down to UCLA because I wanted her to deliver my baby. Yeah. And in the, in this delivery room, I was like, I don't care. Get this baby out of me. <laughs> I cannot wait 12 minutes. Like I do not have 12 minutes to wait. Oh gosh. And I'm like feeling it's like tearing down my back. And I'm like, so I'm like literally like holding, I hate saying holding my butt. Cause like, but yeah. that is what it's like, it, it does feel like your butt, not your vagina. So I'm like yeah. kind of like holding my legs together oh. while they're setting up the table. And they're like, literally right. They're like, okay, you're ready to push. She, she like just got into the room and I pushed three times. It was six minutes and I remember one of them, they were like, you have to hold like, and it was like, it just like the contraction took a really long time to get there. And the holding while her head was in my vagina, like ready to come out, I was just like, why do I have to hold? I, I can't, I just push her out. And they're like, no, you can't like, you need to wait. And I was just mm-hmm. like, okay. And when she came out, my husband's like, it's a girl. And we're like, yay. <laughs> and I just remember, <laughs> remember being like, looking at this baby and I knew how my husband felt when he just like didn't feel connected. Like I mm-hmm. like looked at her and I don't know if it was like the, and not like, again, this is not a traumatic birth. Like people have very right. traumatic births, right? but I think because I just didn't expect the like veracity of it and like uh-huh. how fast it was and how unmedicated it was. I, I was just like, oh my God. I was just like, like they put the baby on my, they put Kyla on my chest and I was just like, hi, like, oh my God, I just like, I'm still like panting. And then they're, you know, cause I had a, the same second degree tear along the same line mm-hmm. and they're stitching me up, which I could feel every bit of it. Of course. Because, like, yeah. A girl had, yeah. And I was like, I kept telling him, I'm like, I can feel this. I can feel this. And I'm like holding this baby on my chest while they're stitching me up. And like, I, I just like couldn't connect with her cause I was so distracted with yeah. how much pain I was in. Yeah. But it is true that like the pain of childbirth like quickly went away and now that it was like substituted with the new pain of them like stitching me up. Oh yeah. And then, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then like that went away quickly too. And she was very quick to nurse as well. Like she was very easy. And I, the first thing I did was I sent the nurse to go get me milk of magnesia. Cause I was like, I'm not making this mistake again. The docusate like so is not enough. Like that is mm-hmm. that doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Let's get this rolling. Like I'm gonna have a soft poop, and I'm so glad I did that because I had them every six hours give me the milk of magnesia or every twelve, whatever the serving was, mm-hmm. and. I had my first poop in the hospital and I was only in the hospital for a day and a half. Like the moment we could leave, I was like, well, let's get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) And so my, yeah, I literally remember, I remember my proctologist after I had gotten my hemorrhoids excised, him being like, you know, just don't strain when you sit on the toilet, you just like have to let the poop fall out. And I remember Mm -hmm. being like, what are you talking about? How does poop just fall out? Like poop does not just fall out. Uh (laughs) And and, um, (laughs) I'm You're going to have to label this podcast episode TMI. I know. It's not quite explicit, but yeah, TMI. Exactly. But like this was like the definition. I just like remember sitting on the toilet and like it just like, I'm like, this is how you're supposed to poop. I got it. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. And even though I tore, it felt like nothing. And I think it's because I didn't have hemorrhoids this time, mm-hmm. probably because I didn't have them at the end of pregnancy and I didn't have to push as hard. And right. I felt I had like a little more control over how I was pushing mm-hmm. because I didn't have the epidural essentially. Right. And then we were home a day and a half later and 
she was born on a Tuesday and Friday we were like out for pizza with our son and our newborn. And I like, I like to say that just because I didn't leave the house for three weeks with my son. Like I, with Luca. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I couldn't move. I felt uncomfortable. I had no idea what I was doing. And the contrast between that and my second, just like this not being my first time. Like I, I love being a second time mother. Like, I just that's felt so, cool. so much more in control, I think. And I love that. Not, I love that. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that because, I mean, I don't have a second child, at least not yet, but a lot of people feel that lack of control with the first one and you're just learning things and you, you know, and then when you think about having a second one, you're like, oh God, I have to do this all over again. But it's like, yes, but you have the experience of already doing it. So it might be easier, even though you have two of them now. Yeah. Oh my God. It really is. I, you know, I, I have so many friends that are nervous about adding a second one and I'm like, you know, you've already like paved the way with the first. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Good tip. Well, cool. Well, how, Tell me about your uh, breastfeeding experience with your daughter. Was that any different from your son? It, it was. She, interestingly, like actually just took her to the dentist and it turns out she has a lip tie oh. that we, was like undiagnosed. Oh. And she was always a great nurser. So that was fine. Like she was very efficient. However, the first two weeks I had like way worse, like bleeding nipples. And mm. even though her latch like seemed fine. And I, I actually remember there was like, I still had a nipple shield from mm-hmm. when, and I like would put that on a couple of times just to like give myself a break. But I was very committed to having a good breastfeeding relationship with her too, just because that was one of my favorite parts like with Luca. And it, I mean, yeah. it continued. Like I'm still breastfeeding Kyla. She's 15 yeah. months. I, cool. I like need to wean her, but... <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely it was harder at first, and then it was fine. I will say, I, there's not a lot of products that I'm like, you absolutely need to have this. Mm-hmm. But the Haka pump is yes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yes, it Those is amazing, amazing. And so that was what because I knew I was going to deal with the oversupply thing. And it, and for anyone that that does deal with oversupply, the first thing I did was I immediately started single-sided breastfeeding, mm-hmm. like immediately, because I, I just like knew that was going to be a problem for me. And I had single-sided breastfed Luca the entire time. But I think because I was like, that was what exacerbated it in the beginning was that I was trying to do both. Mm-hmm. With Kyla, I just started with single-sided breastfeeding. And to relieve my other boob, especially in that first like two weeks when you're just super engorged, I used the Hakka pump on the other side. Mm. Is that how you say it? Hakka? Is that? I think it's Hakka. I, I don't really Haka. know. Hakka. Hakka. Yes. Hakka. <laughs> <laughs> I was making it fancy. Haka. I knew what you meant. <laughs> yeah. Hakka. But I would put it on the other side and just like relieve like, like one ounce or one and a half ounces. Yeah. And that was a game changer. Yeah. And that's yeah. a good tip too, just for breastfeeding moms is like if you're trying to cut back a feeding or in the middle of the night or whatever, don't pump the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like just pump for comfort. Yeah. 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 Very, very important. Yes. Very cool. Well, cool. Well, awesome. Well, that was a very, very different pregnancy, different labor, different breastfeeding experience from your first one with the contrast of your second one. So thank you so much for sharing yeah. that. Let's just dive into your business. And I know you have this app that is all about exercise and staying healthy during your pregnancy. And you're very passionate about that because you know you 
as you said, you had issues with the symphysis pubis and, mm-hmm. you know, issues with exercising your, during your pregnancy. So tell us all about your fabulous app that you have and your fabulous business that you have. Yes. So Juna is my third baby, as I like to call it. The idea kind of came when I was going through my first pregnancy and, you know, I was working for a fitness company and realized that there was nothing for me. Like I didn't know what was safe or what wasn't safe, especially during that time in my life. Like I have various fitness certifications, but pre and postnatal fitness wasn't one of them at the time. And I was like, I'm not sure what I can do. And this is kind of a scary period. And if you get on Google, again, all of the misinformation and outdated information, like it's just scary. And I remember being like, like, I don't know what to do. And so I ended up like just like, you know, like I exercised, but I never felt fully comfortable with what I was doing. And I went to a couple, like to my CEO at the time, and he was like, mm, it feels very niche. And I'm like, no, women aren't niche, but, but no, that's not yeah. <laughs> it's Okay. Yeah. And then I went to, I went to another company. It, it didn't really fit with their model. And I had had my second kid and I was just like, you know, I can't shake this. It feels like this group of people, myself included, need better and who am I not to create it? Like this, is, I have like a very specific skill set. Like I've been working in fitness for the last 10 years. I've been working for digital fitness companies for the last 10 years. Like I know exactly how to create this kind of product. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just do it. And my husband definitely gave me the push to do it. So I quit my job in January, partnered with like the right people, the right experts that we needed. At the time, I didn't have my certification. I have since gotten it. Um, So I'd worked with a pre and postnatal exercise specialist to create the fitness programming and then partnered with a registered dietitian who specializes in fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum to write all of the nutrition content and kind of to like vet off on the recipes. And so Juna is a fitness and nutrition app for pregnancy and postpartum right now. We will soon have a trying to conceive program as well as an active mom just so that we can cover the entire motherhood journey because that's Mm -hmm. like just because you are not postpartum, like you still – you're, you're still on this journey, right? Like, yeah, and, and we don't want, sure. we don't want you to just like have to dump into another app that may not feel as warm and fuzzy. Yeah. And so like for me, the, like Juna is designed for this very special period in your life. And I, you know, we talk to moms, like, like we're very real, we're evidence-based. We don't like kind of want to fuel into any of like the nonsense that's out there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of been the premise and the app will continue to expand into like there will be other features. I think like the general feedback that we've gotten is like we want more content in there. And so that's mm-hmm. what we're working on now. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love it. Well, I have it downloaded on my phone. I'm not pregnant, but <laughs> I have it downloaded on my phone just as a trial, just because I've been playing around with it. And I love it, you guys. Like it is so cool. I just put in a random due date. I think it's like February or something just so I got the whole experience (laughs) when I first tried it out. And I love it. It is just so cute. And I feel like it's for somebody like me who, you know, like if I were pregnant, I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm downloading this app. This is so cool. So I've been experiencing it firsthand and I just got my week, you get like week reminders, you know, oh, it's a start, you know, it's the start of a new week, like check your app or whatever. And I just got mine today because my rollover day is Tuesday, yes. my, my fake pregnancy. <laughs> the turn <laughs> so, date, right? <laughs> yeah, the turn date, exactly. So I love it, you guys. And 
definitely check it out. I will definitely link it in the show notes page. It is on the App Store, correct? And yes. is it on Google Play as well or it Google? Not yet. Whatever. Only, okay. Yeah. Just on the App Only Store. iOS App Store right now. Yes. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, that was so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. I know this was a very good episode for everybody to kind of relate to, you know, two different kinds of pregnancies. And then, yeah, we'll definitely link all of that good stuff about the Juna app in the show, show notes page. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I haven't shared those birth stories in a really long time, so it was fun to relive them. <laughs> yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. Are you looking for birth education? Did you know that I have two fabulous birth courses that are super affordable? Well, I do. Head over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast to take a short quiz to see which birth class is for you. When you purchase either birth course, you'll have full access to it forever. And that means it will never expire and you can access it throughout any stage of your pregnancy or for any subsequent pregnancies that you have. You'll also gain free access to my Facebook group, linked to the class where you can ask questions about your pregnancy, share your birth story after you give birth, read other people's birth stories, and get to know other members who are in the course. There is also a money back guarantee. So if you are at all unsatisfied with your purchase, please, please send me an email at hello at mommylaborers.com for a full refund. There's really no risk to signing up, and I promise you will learn a ton about what's to come when you give birth. As a listener of this podcast, you automatically get 20% off any purchase if you use the code PODCASTLISTENER. I've had tons of moms just like you enter these birth courses and have fabulous, wonderful, empowering births because they feel so much more educated about what's to happen. So if you are at all curious about birth education, again, I encourage you to go to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast and use the code podcast listener to save 20%. All right, so that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.